how has your training delivery changed since the pandemic began? How much of it is face-to-face? Have you gone back to a face-to-face environment yet? And how much of your training is virtual these days? In fact, how much of your training will be virtual for quite a while to come? And this definitely is on my mind these days. I'm thinking of how I kind of expected training to go back to the way it was to some degree, but it's just really struck me forcefully how few companies are now asking for face-to-face. They're very comfortable with online. And I think that's why today's topic is going to make sense, because my guest this week is Diana L. Howells. And Diana today is going to give you a masterclass on the intricacies of virtual training. If you're unfamiliar with terms such as live mixed learning, synchronous education, and so on, you're going to come away today with a bunch of ideas and find today's podcast interview with Diana particularly helpful because Diana is the author of Next Level Virtual Training and she's got some really powerful tips to help you take your virtual training to the next level. So in today's episode, how Diana began as a trainer, I'm always interested in how people came into the training business. What is live mixed learning? We're going to define that for you. Which virtual training challenges you need to master? Which are the eight key areas of expertise which Diana has called out in her book that you will need as a top virtual presenter or trainer? Which roles are necessary increasingly in virtual learning experience, not just training, but perhaps producing training and co-facilitating training? And lastly, and not least, how you can get your hands on a copy of Next Level Virtual Training. This is the Training Business Podcast. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to welcome you here. My name is Mark. This is the Training Business Podcast. So what's it about? Well, if you're a first-time listener, every single Thursday, without fail, there is an episode of this show. And the goal of this show is to help you through perhaps some experience I have, but more importantly, the, the experience and learning that guests have. And I've got guests on the show frequently. So wherever you are on that training business journey, whether you're just starting or growing or scaling your business, this is the show for you because you're just like me. I am a trainer. I am someone who, like you, makes a living or is thinking of making a living from selling your expertise in the form of workshops, programs, retreats, online and offline training. And today is a treat because we're going to drill into the subject of virtual training, taking your virtual training to the next level. Because increasingly, I'm not sure if that's the case for you, it certainly is the case for me, a lot of clients right now only want virtual training or they want some form of what my guest today calls live mixed learning. You might know it as hybrid training where we've got people in the classroom and people online. So how do you do all this? How do you manage all this? That is what today is all about. Diana, hi. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Uh, You're talking to me today from Wisconsin in the States. That's correct. I'm in the U.S. And you've been to Ireland, where I am, of course. I love Ireland. Yes. I toured around Northern Ireland and just loved it so much. 
And we've actually quite a lot in common because just like me, you've been a corporate trainer, you still are, uh, learning and development consultant, learning and development manager, and so on. How and what got you into the training business in the first place? You know, I started out as a public speaking teacher. I taught at universities and colleges, and I loved business, and actually did a lot of interning when I was in college at businesses. And then I also developed this real love for learning. So when you put all three of those together, the training and development field just seemed like the perfect way to go in terms of a trajectory. And I've never looked back. I love helping other people learn. And your business is called Howl's Associates. Um, What kind of training do you currently do in your business? Yeah. So virtual training is one of our specialties. So we help others train effectively online, whether that be fully virtual or whether that be what we call live mixed learning, which is the hybrid combination That's where you have the online and the um, on-site learner together. We also uh, work on other topics. So we help with learning experience design consulting. And we also work on virtual presentations and coach clients to be more effective on camera. Gotcha. So on the topic of live mixed learning, which we'll define, I'm looking forward to defining that actually with you uh, shortly. You've written a book. It's called Next Level Virtual Training. What prompted you to write the book in the first place? You know, I've always wanted to share my experience over 20 years. So I first started doing virtual training back in 2000, and I used a tool called Placeware, which actually isn't around anymore. But back then, we had video capability. We had the ability to application share. We had the ability to, believe it or not, do breakouts, but they were done through audio breakouts through a landline phone, and then we watched the internet. And so just as I've been a practitioner all these years, and when the pandemic pandemic hit. And I realized the whole world now is entering into this virtual training realm. And I just felt like I had a lot to offer the field and to share my experience and expertise. And so it was it was a joy to write the book. And when we think of virtual training, uh, you know, to my mind, most people think of, of what we've learned and we've endured through COVID. But it sounds like you were, you've been doing this for a long time, a lo- long time before COVID. So Thinking of, of people's current situation as, as virtual trainers, we have to manage logistics, technology, user experience, far more things to do than we had to do when training was just face-to-face. What are some of the advanced challenges that people who are virtual trainers now face when delivering training online? You know, I think really one of the most important things is realizing this importance this dynamic engagement that needs to be part of what we what we do when we're online, right? So there's so many distractions. People are at home. They're pulled in by all sorts of things, emails, reports. And so there are things we can do as virtual facilitators to grab their attention, sustain their attention, involve them, keep things dynamic. And so I do talk about some of that in the book as well, um, which is really important. And then, of course, the troubleshooting as we move in sort of the hybrid realm or the live mixed realm with the on-site and online learners together, the troubleshooting and the the sort of um, 
cognitive load on the facilitators increases. And then even online facilitation, even though you think, oh, I'm leading a very interactive session, there are always things that you can do to be even more effective in terms of facilitation. And I like to do what I call verbal signposts, where you just let people know what's coming. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to write down what you're going to apply on a whiteboard and give people time to think about it so that we're really equipping them to be successful. Hmm. For many people, I think this transition almost was a handbrake turn where people had to make the jump overnight to changing how they deliver uh, on-site, face-to-face, to now delivering virtually, where often we can't see the people that we're training. And I found this a lot during COVID. People either unable to or reluctant to turn on their cameras. I don't know why, perhaps just some inexperience with platforms. And I had a guest on the show last year, Cassie Labori, another author at the ATD, who produced a book called Literally Producing virtual training meetings and webinars. Um, I guess you recognize as someone who's been in and delivering training virtually for a long time. Um, do you, do you, are you aware of colleagues or other trainers who struggle to make this transition and, and how have they gotten around that? Well, yes. I mean, and being on camera is something that's, that's really important to talk about too. Um, but I think most people feel uncomfortable when you know you are being the center of attention. And so when that camera is on you, it can be very distracting. But two things to say about that. Number one, as facilitators, we do have an obligation to be present, to communicate presence with our learners. And one of the best ways to do that is to be on camera. So I do recommend that facilitators, I call them purposeful connection moments, when we are introducing ourselves, when we are doing a live Q&A, when we are giving feedback, when we are closing a session, when we are doing a group discussion, those are the times for facilitator to for sure be on camera. When you're sharing a complex visual, that's a time to not be on camera as facilitator because we focus attention, right? The second part of that then is the learner. The learner can be encouraged to be on camera for certain times when it's important, like when they are presenting, when we are doing a group discussion, when there is a breakout session. But I let them know way ahead of time, well before class day, please be camera ready. And we never force them. If they don't want to come on camera, they don't have to, but we strongly encourage them for those moments. And then the rest of the training, it is up to them. It is up to them. And sometimes, as you know, Mark, it can be distracting for a virtual learner to, they focus just on themselves. So there are many platforms now where you can hide your view and that can be less distracting for a learner as well. So what platforms? I mean, most of us are familiar with obviously Zoom, uh, others, BlueJeans, WebEx, um, Adobe Connect, others come to mind. What ones come to mind in, in your case? Yeah, over over my years of history, I think I've probably used Adobe Connect the most, um, but also you know Webex, of course, Adobe Connect, Go to Training, uh, as you mentioned, Zoom. I'm seeing a lot of clients use Microsoft um, Teams recently, so so there really are a number of platforms. And now that we have virtual is here to stay and not going away, right? We're going to see those technologies improve and get more affordable and easier to use, which they should be, right? But technology uh, really has driven this sort of uh, where we find ourselves in uh, the virtual sort of modern day age today. And um, it's really kind of shaped us in a, in a way. 
And I think, and thank you for mentioning technology specifically because that that has been a massive distraction from some people. Uh, the technology often gets in the way of the learning experience. Um, so, in your book, you t you talk about eight areas of expertise to make this virtual training experience more, let's call it user friendly. What are the eight areas of expertise that you think a top virtual training professional needs to start or to further develop in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And really uh, wanted to build on the foundations of virtual training and really raise the level, right, in excellence and outcomes and getting results. So as you mentioned, I did identify eight areas. These are capabilities for virtual trainers, one of which is experience design. Really, this is the first book that's taken learning experience design or LXD, some, some of us call it that, and applied it to virtual training. Yes, it's a whole different mindset, a way to be empathic toward the learner, invite them in. Uh, other capabilities include environment shaping. We know how important it is to, as facilitator, we lead that culture, that environment that is welcoming, that creates a psychological safe space for people to participate. Online facilitation, of course. Um, facilitator presence. I have two pieces to that one. Technical fluency. Obviously, we have to be very fluent in the technology, as you mentioned earlier, Mark. And then dynamic engagement is something I mentioned uh, previously. Agile troubleshooting is another. And of course, evaluating impact. Okay, let's take um, almost the first one and the last one. Uh, LXD stuck in my mind. It's an acronym. It's easy. I haven't heard it before. Um, let, let's share that uh, with, with the audience. What does that mean? And what do we as virtual trainers need to understand there? Yeah, so learning experience design is really something that was influenced by three major fields, one of which is design thinking, Another one is user experience design. And then uh, what I call evidence-based practice is the third field. And really what it's about is being able to design an experience that produces something. So it's still task-centered, but it's also learner-centered. So there are some things you can do with learning experience design like um, create learner personas where you come up with fictional characters who resemble the types of people that you're teaching online, and you can map out the journey ahead of time. What are they going to experience before class day? And what will they experience at the beginning of class? What will they experience in the middle? And this does a couple things. It allows you to be standing in the seat or in the feet of your learner, and it shifts your perspective. Because we always say, you know this, Mark, we say, oh, we know our learners, we know who they are, but we really don't. And so when we can actually physically map out their journey, it helps us to step in their shoes and see areas that maybe need to be redesigned. We also might be prompted for questions that learners might have. And what I love to do, which I have never regretted, is I will take a journey map and I will run it by a sample learner beforehand or somebody who's comparable to a sample learner. And that feedback that you get from those one or two learners when you're designing is unbelievably helpful, right? They point out all sorts of things that you didn't think of, and it ultimately makes the learning experience so much better. So it's empathic design involving some learners on the front end is can be part of it. I don't think many of us do that. I mean, I'm honest uh, here and say I haven't done that a lot recently. I think I've done it accidentally. <laughs> um, 
is there a template you could recommend or are there is there a way to do this that we're not just having a chat with someone uh, but there's actually a structured process to helping someone to help us design that learning experience for them yeah, I do have some examples in my book. So there are visuals in there of a learner persona and a journey map that you can basically run an outline by a learner, ask for their feedback. Does this make sense? Would this help you? What else would help you? So really having this conversation, almost like usability testing, right? Where you're trying out a new system. I love usability testing because you watch a learner one by one. So they're not influenced by each other and there's no group think. And you, you ask them to speak out loud. What are you thinking when you're using this? And they say, well, I don't know where to click first. I guess I'm going to go here. I mean, you watch that user experience and immediately you know what to fix, what What's broken and what needs to be corrected. It's kind of like that. So we like to, at Hal's Associates, we like to call it feed forward because so often feedback comes too late. It comes after the design is already full blown and the development is almost done. If you get feed forward when your designs are early on, they're rough and they're not um, established, right? You're more likely to change them and make them more effective. So we just, um, we have found that our learning solutions are so much better when we involve just a few learners on the front end. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. Um, that's a fantastic idea. LXD. Uh, That's a term I will use in another article at some point. Uh, is that something you came up with? No, no, that's something that's uh, been around, uh, for a while. And I believe, um, Sharon Bowler, for example, has um, has a book out with a co-author too, where they talk about design thinking. And, yes, and that, you're right. You're what? You're right. Sharon was on the show only a few weeks ago. Oh, I good. knew I. Yes, I heard that term before. You're right. Thank you for my. Sorry, Sharon, if you're listening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the last one you mentioned, then, if I recall, was the idea of evaluation. How does virtual training evaluation perhaps differ from traditional? Let's call it happy sheet face to face on site virtual. Or, or training evaluation? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. You know, I think something that we just need to realize is we are maybe very skilled at facilitating and training, but maybe we're not as skilled in evaluation, which is why, you know, we're not necessarily professional evaluators. And so I encourage folks to, to bring in professional evaluators, but we, we need to be evaluating what we do, right? Because that's where we learn what's working, what's not working, what can we change? And so it's more when you look at what companies are usually tracking, they're usually tracking attendance. Joe, Mark, Bob, Venkia, they all attended, right? And that gets submitted to the executive leadership. But we really want to go beyond that. So you mentioned Happy Sheets, which is the standard level one. Level two of obviously is, you know, checking for learning. Level three is application. We want to look at, are we making a difference? So I do encourage folks to really track that data, do something with it, go back and redesign the course. If you see people aren't actually applying what they've learned. And I like to do boosters as well. So once I do like a virtual program, I will send, I call it one by one by one. So one day after, one week after, one month after, I'll send little follow-ups. Now these could be automated through the LMS and they can be like quizzes, right? Using the testing effect. So once people are able to recall what they've learned, they're, they're sort of building that network in their in their recall and in their brain. So um, it can be quizzes, it can be reminders of um, important points or asking them to complete an action plan. So much we can do post-program 
to reinforce and evaluate how are we doing. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's food for thought. I, very often, people have said to me, well, the training was great, but the virtual experience wasn't great because technology kept getting in the way or there were some distractions. And I think that's something to keep in mind. How do we, how do we um, account for that in our evaluation, the fact that sometimes the platform or people's lack of proficiency in the platform influences what they think of the training? Well, that is, that is a realistic point. So what I like to tell folks, and I do have a chapter dedicated to agile troubleshooting too, but it's really this mindset when you are working with technology, those kinds of surprises do happen. That's just part of, it's part of the technology. And so there's so much we can do to prepare and plan, but surprises can happen. I had something happen the other day, right, where the monitor just went black. It's never done that before. Or I was working with a co-facilitator and all of a sudden she said, I had a button that I was going to hit um, to bring people back from the breakouts, but suddenly the button wasn't there. So those things happen. And I think a lot of it too is how we handle it. You are the leader as the facilitator. If you are coming apart at the seams and not practicing good emotional intelligence, that is mirrored onto your uh, learners. I had a time once where the breakouts uh, didn't work and my producer tried to send them in three times. It didn't work. And I said, you know what? We're going to pivot. And uh, by the way, we planned this on purpose. And they laughed. And of course, they knew we didn't. And I said, we're going to pivot and we're going to do this as a group discussion. So having kind of things ready in your back pocket is good. But I never brought it up again, right? So we went on, we moved forward. And at the end, nobody put that on their evaluation. Now, the opposite of that, if a facilitator keeps apologizing, oh, so sorry, oh, I'm really, I just can't believe what happened. You're going to see that feedback on your evaluation. So as a leader, we're prepared for everything. We be agile when surprises happen and we don't make a big deal of it. Sometimes we just laugh about it. We pivot, we move on because if we move on, our learners will move on. I like that. I think that it's perhaps a cultural thing, but over here we say sorry in almost too many instances every day. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So when we draw attention to the thing that's not working, that's what people think about. That's what they reflect on. That's what they retain. And it's unsurprising when that finds its way into the evaluation. Something else that cropped up in the the text that is was there to describe your book was the variety of, of roles. I've heard of, you know, VILT or V-I-L-T. Uh, we've got virtual trainers, uh, live online facilitators, synchronous educators, online adult education instructors, all kinds of roles. You, you talk specifically about live mixed learning. Um, that's quite interesting. What exactly is live mixed learning? Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So all of those terms that you mentioned, Mark, so VILT, live online, virtual, all of those, if they are synchronous, happening online in real time, everyone is virtual. I would say that is really all the same. Uh, so if you want to call it virtual training, if you want to call it synchronous online training, it's all the same. The hybrid, which which I call live mixed, just because hybrid is a term that is overused. We use it for cars, hybrid cars. We use it for systems, hybrid systems. And it's just, <laughs> it's out there for so many things. To me, when you look at hybrid, Live mixed is a clearer term for that. So what is it? It's when we involve both an on-site learner physically present in room 
and virtual learners or online learners. So you have online and on-site together. And uh, that can be a challenging thing, right? Because it's a whole different environment. And as you mentioned earlier, Mark, we really, ideally, we want that technology to disappear in a way so that people feel that they're together in the same shared space, which, uh, which I call presence. That's what presence is. Mm-hmm. In your book, you have 101 tips for fully online uh, training. Have you tips for the hybrid or, to give it your term, live mixed learning environment? And the reason I'm saying this is because I had a conversation with someone about a couple of months ago, and they said one of the things that they do, it sounds extreme, but they take physical cutouts of the people who aren't in the room and put them in the room. And something else they do, which is quite cool, is they actually have a buddy system. So someone in the room with the trainer or instructor is encouraged to buddy up with someone who isn't in the room. Any other tips that, um, or even what are your thoughts on those two tips? Yeah, those are great. In my experience, when I've been teaching these live mix classes, you know, we have great energy in the room. You've experienced that, right? Our listeners have experienced that. When we are together, physically present, there's a lot of really good energy. So what I have noticed is we want to leverage that for bringing in the virtual folks. So it's so critical that the virtual learners are also on camera because as we've seen, if you've inter- if you've had uh, teleconferences with virtual folks and they're just on a polycom telephone, for example, they are forgotten, unfortunately. But when they are on camera, so I do strongly recommend that, we see them, we remember they're there. And what I do with my virtual attendees, I let them know you're going to be on camera, be camera ready. And I get them talking before the class starts, right? So we're building conversational um, relationships and they get used to talking because once you start talking, you're willing to do it again. So we bring on the virtual folks, they log in early, make sure they're early and we start talking with them. Another tip that I have is I have co-facilitators, not just a producer, but co-facilitators. One of us is present in the room. The other one is online and one is a lead facilitator. Now, the lead facilitator could either be virtual or present in the room, doesn't matter, but we have sort of um, somebody anchoring each of them, right? And I taught a hybrid class, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, was so pleased with the success of having the in-person folks interacting with the virtual folks, but keep in mind, the virtual attendees also saw on camera the in-person room. So you see how technology is helping us to bridge. I think that's so important. We have to, they will say, I feel like I was in the room, uh, you know, which is so important. And what I like to do too for breakouts is I will group together the the people that are in the room. They'll go off in different uh, groups around the room. And then I'll have the virtual attendees usually go into breakouts virtually. Now you can pair them like you talked about, Mark, right? Where you have the buddy system and have those two work together. Sometimes the technology can be a bit tricky that way. Um, So I found pretty good success working with the folks in the room, um, grouping together, and then those online grouping together. And then I bring them back and we debrief, right? And the other thing to lean into is letting the virtual folks go first and then taking kind of rotation to keep the equity because uh, we are working hard to make sure those virtual learners feel present, feel part of that learning experience. That's so important. You mentioned the word producer. So for people listening who might not be familiar with that role, correct me if I'm wrong, a producer is someone who focuses purely on the the technical. So 
uh, get, setting up the breakout rooms and, and managing the chat and, and logistics, all that kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, you had Cassie Laborian who wrote the book about producing. And so really the producer role, it's sort of like if we sort of set that aside for a second and just look at when you have a job and you have too many tasks to do, what do you do? You hire more hands, right? You hire more help. So what happens when you bring technology on, it layers on all this complexity and there's too many things to manage cognitive load-wise for the facilitator to really be their best, to be their effective. And I know that there are some organizations that say, I am an I am a learning and development department of one. And there are certainly creative solutions you can do for that. But really, if the facilitator can be tasked with the effective teaching, building community, engagement, interactivity, the producer role can be to help uh, welcome the session, troubleshoot technical difficulties, support the platform, help resolve any issues that happen, uh, close the platform. They can help with putting people in breakouts. They can help with uh, lowering virtual hands. They can help catch comments in chat that maybe the facilitator missed. So really kind of a, a right-hand person to really assist and help the learners learn. And then the co-facilitator role you mentioned, what would they do? So co-facilitator really is leading. You are also facilitating and teaching. So what I like to do in my live mix classes is we have the co-facilitators, but then again, because you have the layered technology challenge, right? Uh, I have IT staff sometimes come by and they will either be on call or they'll be in the room because when something happens and goes wrong, you want to fix it right away, right? And audio is so important. So good audio is even more important than good video. In a live mix situation, make sure your audio is excellent. The virtual attendees can hear facilitator wherever they move around the room. And then there's also this and likewise, the other way as well with the in-person folks hearing the virtual folks. And then also just kind of a camera awareness too for facilitator. You know, I had my my back turned sideways a little bit as I was talking to my in-person folks and just realizing you don't want to show, you know, you're back to the virtual. So there's this idea of uh, where do I stand, you know, when I'm uh, doing virtual and I kind of put my classes in almost like a V um, inverted format where the back of the room is now the front of the room for me so that everyone can see me and my in-person uh, learners can also see each other across the table. So it's so important learner to learner interact across the room and then also looking to the screens, right, where our virtual attendees are. So just just ways to think about how do we make this experience great. And that's what it boils down to. And um, where can people find out more about your book, Next Level Virtual Training? I presume it's on, you know, the usual sites, Amazon and so on? Yes, absolutely. So the book Next Level Virtual Training is available on Amazon. And they can also visit our website. We're at Howells, H-O-W-L-E-S, as in Sam, associates, which is plural, dot com. And uh, our website will also direct them to the Amazon book page. Diana, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. There's loads we could have covered, but uh, we ran out of time. But um, for people interested in the book, I'll put up details on the website, trainingbusiness.com. Diana, thank you again. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Many, many thanks to my guest today, Diana. If you're listening, Diana, that was a wonderful episode. Thank you so much for your time. And you'll find more details about this week's episode by visiting training 
www.thebusinessbusiness.com. All the links that I mentioned today will be, of course, in the show notes for this week's episode. Again, that's trainingbusiness.com. Diana mentioned a couple of things, including her website, which is howlsassociates.com. That's H-O-W-L-E-S-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-S.com, howlsassociates.com. And you can find more about Diana's book by visiting her website, or you can pre-order a copy over at Amazon ATD Book Depository and other fine bookstores online. I have, of course, an episode next week. And with that in mind, I'd love to hear your opinion as to what you think would make great future episodes for the show. I'm all the time looking for authors like Diana or experts in particular areas or people who've got something to contribute to you and me and the members of the training business community. If there's something that you're struggling with right now, you'd like more help with, drop me a line, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I'll do my best to help you or better still, I'll find someone on the show, a guest who can come on the show and help you with that particular topic, whether it's marketing, sales, or anything to do with helping you on your training business journey. Just two requests from me, if I may briefly ask you. One is to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, because we have episodes every single Thursday. And by subscribing, which of course costs you nothing, by the way, you'll receive a heads up of episodes as they come out. And that's again on Apple, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, whatever platform you've used or come to me today via, then please click on subscribe. But also tell other people about the show. There are plenty of people who would love to become trainers or help themselves by improving their service to their clients. And this is what the show is all about, helping people like you and helping people like me to help people like you. So if you've got suggestions please drop me a line, mark at trainingbusiness.com. As I said, I reply individually and I read all emails personally. Until next Thursday, I know you'll be back for more, for more expertise from people in the world of training. Look after yourself. Take care. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time. 